I've had one job my whole life, more or less, I mean, my adult life. 35 years at one thing in one organization. I mean, can you even imagine it if you are under 30? <laughs> one job. I am, so it's with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and it's in the missions department. We, we now call it Global Engagement and Justice. I am so unemployable for basically anything else. Like, I, I have zero skills in a variety of ways that people are looking for workers. So anyway, I, 35 years. My job description has changed a little bit over those 30. But essentially, I'm doing the same job for 35 years. Does that sound boring? It, it's for some people saying no. So yeah, I mean, obviously, I've... I've survived, and more than survived, I've loved what I've done. Like, that's why I keep doing it for 35 years. But um, I'm so out of touch with the kind of uh, life in the myriad of vocations that most of you all live in. So... I've loved what I've done, so what I've done for 35 years is mobilize college students into mostly full-time missionary work overseas outside of the U.S. And so that's been my life for 35 years. That's the stuff I've been reading and my discussions and my writing, like it's all about mobilizing students and the missionary movement. Um, and so it's like this area of expertise. I think I'm a missiologist. I think you can say that. Like, um, And it's just so interesting to hear people talk about missions and stuff when that's your thing. It's like, you know, people talking about virology, immunology or whatever when that's not their thing and you're the expert and you're like, hey, I think I've got something to say here. Not that... Uh, I, I do love how people interact with this idea of missionary stuff. And so over the years, like, I've uh, adapted, evolved in how I think about this just because of the volume of reading and writing and discussion I've had. So during one season, it was all about mobilizing students into slum communities of the developing world. This was, in my opinion, the most overlooked and difficult mission field. That is, so the, the little communities or cities that grow up around, say, garbage dumps or other things, you know, the extreme uh, marginality of these groups is like the, it's off the grid of the governance, partly because it's just too hard. Like, uh, intense urban growth, like, governments don't know what to do with that. How can you provide enough jobs or water or take out enough sewage when you've got, you know, growth like 100,000 people a year? How would Madison adapt if 100,000 new bodies every year either moved in or were born here? Like, you just can't. And so I was like, oh, it's all about getting students to think about relocating and embedding themselves as residents in corrugated tin sheds over sewage. And so that was a season of, you know, movement that I was uh, part of. And then a little later, I was noticing how uh, the missionary machinery 
had really, like much of the nonprofit world, honestly, including the organization I work for, had conformed itself to the corporate capitalist world. Like we took on this shape, and I was noticing these similarities between how a missionary movement was led, or the organization, and it mirrored corporations. And I was just asking, are there other ways to think about organizing and sending and that kind of stuff? Offended a bunch of people, but stirred up, I think, some great discussion. So, you know, this is my career. Like, this is where I have planted myself for literally decades. And then, uh, maybe more recently, understanding more fully what the gospel is. So there's the gospel of salvation, which is an important a subset of the gospel of the kingdom, like this idea of a Messiah who is bringing in the reign of God in all ways to all people in all systems. And the church's responsibility to enter into that has been a new evolution of we need to think about the gospel of salvation and church planting within the context of this gospel of the kingdom and the renewal of all things being part of this uh, energy that God is calling us into God's work of renewing all things. So anyway, just a little bit of a career uh, trajectory that I've been on in this life I've lived in, you know, more or less 16 hours a day being invested in this thing. Because, you know, the time at home, you know, your, your thoughts typically locate themselves in the in many of the places that you spend your day. Um, but in this evolution, even in my seminary studies, I discovered the gospel has probably advanced more through workaday people than through full-time Christian ministers. Um, that's where... The advance. Now, I'm not against full-time Christian ministry as someone who has spent 35 years. And some of you support me, like I'm not downplaying that. There's a need for full-time Christian ministers, for sure. But mostly the gospel is advancing not through full-time Christian ministers. It's advancing through people who live and work in a variety of other ways and earn their living in a variety of other ways, um, the spiritual offices, you know, pastor, teacher, evangelist, apostle, those are resident mostly in people who are not full-time Christian ministers. Most of you carry a apostolic gift, a evangelist gift, a, you know, a pastoral gift. You can be gifted by the Spirit as a pastor and not be paid for that. But there are ways in which those things show up in your work. So the Spirit of God and the offices of the church are resident and moving mostly through non-full-time Christian ministers. And I mean, you you just look at the scriptures. Uh, You think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These guys were agricultural workers. They They were shepherds, mostly the patriarchs of uh, the Hebrew people were not full-time Christian ministers, not full-time sort of... They weren't rabbis. Uh, They were shepherds. And in fact, David was a shepherd 
you know, more of his life than he was king. Um, you know, Joseph and Daniel were essentially political workers. They weren't um, ministers in that sort of full-time sense. They weren't priests. They weren't operating as priests. They were operating in government roles. And there are some times when you may be called to, you know, you're going to give a number of years to some sort of full-time expression. That's going to be kind of your gig for a few years, uh, like Jesus, for instance. He was a carpenter for most of his earthly life. And then for a few years, he was a sort of full-time Christian worker. And he really was a Christian worker, I guess you <laughs> could say. But like, even. Um, and here's what Amos, Amos the prophet says. I was neither a prophet... This is Amos the prophet. Nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sycamore fig trees. He was an arborist shepherd. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. There was a period of time that he operated more fully in that gift. But he was an arborist shepherd and had this gift, had this calling. And so we see uh, the the New Testament unfolding mostly through full-time Christian workers. Now, uh, Paul did have a side gig making tents. That was an income-generating thing. He was bivocational, we might say. Uh, and you look at the history of the, the Twelve, most of them, we don't get a lot about what they did outside of their ministry jobs. So we get a little bit of an obscured lens in the New Testament about how the gospel was mostly going forward through people in the trades, through stonemasons and through shipbuilders and through agricultural workers. Like most of the advance of the gospel in that period of Acts was happening through those people. But we have this window mostly through Luke, if we're looking at Acts, because he was describing Paul specifically and what Paul was about for the most part. Um, And I find that, too, as a full-time Christian worker, that my lens is obscured by the fact that this is all I know. And so, you know, those of us in the church who get the microphone who are full-time in this, that's how we see the world, that's a disservice to you Um, because you know the people I'm going to be drawn to are like full-time Christian worker type people people are going to be drawn to me and so my whole world is organized around full-time Christian ministry but the kingdom of God is not organized around full-time Christian ministry it's organized around people working and living life in the everyday Uh, and you know how to be in but not of the world? You probably shouldn't listen to me. Because I don't know. Because I haven't really in my whole life except uh, college and pre-college known what it is to be in the world in that kind of 24-7 way. Um, it's not that it's easy for full-time Christian ministers to sort of there are a different set of problems that we face. But this series 
is about what it looks like for the gospel to move forward through vocation, through different jobs, through a variety of ways in which people live in the world but not of the world. Um, and today, I want to focus on education. You know, there are, I don't know, 50 million pre-K through 12th grade individuals in America. That's a good chunk of whatever, the 330 million, 50-some million, maybe 55 million, are students. And there's like 3 million teachers. Like, this is an important way in which life is lived and experienced, and in which Christian teachers and Christian students are, are experiencing big, big chunks of their day. So I want to uh, introduce you to a few teachers. Doug loves this. Uh, of course, Doug hoots at just about everything that's said up here, but <laughs> thank you, Jeff. Um, so I'm not going to tell you about how to be a how to live the gospel through the education system. I'm going to have educators do that because I don't do that. So you will be visited by three educators. I feel a little bit like Dickens here in the yes. Um, so we're going to hear from uh, Lisa Barlow, Malaysia Anderson, and a guy named Christian Ezel. Uh, Christian Ezel will be live in person, raw and unscripted, right up front. We're just going to talk about it, okay? So that's going to be pretty awesome. But uh, I did some interviews, and so I think we'll play them back-to-back, actually. And so there won't be... You know, the, the only pause will be Ross moving from one interview to the other on screen. So Lisa Barlow lives in South Central Los Angeles, a, f a fairly challenging corner of Los Angeles, and uh, is a teacher and runs a school in South Central LA. She also taught in Brooklyn. So all of her teaching experience is in urban, uh, under-resourced communities. And then we'll go to Malaysia Anderson. She lives in Vallejo, California, which is Northern California, also in a fairly international kind of blighted, if you will, community. Um, and so what I want you to get from Lisa, the, the, the clip, the, just two minutes of each. We'll have more of Christian, but two minutes of Lisa is working in education as a teacher has grown me as a Christian. That is... God's gift of us working in a variety of fields is a gift to grow us spiritually. That is, teacher as Jesus student and what their students or staff or their experience is growing in them as a Christian. And then for Malaysia, how do you operate in a broken system? And the education system has a variety of challenges, including... Uh, this incredible uh, graduation gap or achievement gap uh, that kind of depends on your background, ethnicity, uh, 
family money or like, you know, school districts that are super funded and those that are barely funded. Like there's just a bunch of challenges. So how does she operate as a believer in a system that ha- that is broken? So first, Lisa, how she learns, how she how education is a gift to her growth as a Christian. And then Malaysia, how she is working in a broken system and what that looks like and what that means. So let's listen to these two teachers, and I'll bring our third ghost of education present. The other student I think about a lot is the student that I had when I was back in New York. So it was a really long time ago. And she had um, she had a, a disability. She had a brain injury. And she had a you know an individual education plan. She had all those kinds of supports, in part because she was in an abusive situation. And her brain got damaged, right? Um, and then I had a newcomer come from, like we had a ton of newcomer ELs from Spanish-speaking countries or from China. And I was fine. We had a staff that speaks those languages, right? But like, I had a kid come in there, first language was Bengali. And nobody that I knew in Brooklyn spoke that language, right? So how are we supposed to support her in learning? But my other student, the one with the brain injury, decided she was going to take her under her wing. And so they don't speak the same language. And this other girl has received so much like educational support. But she like really believed that this little newcomer girl was like the thing she was gonna do. And she hung out with her, she talked to her, she explained the science assignments to her, and both girls' grades went up, right? Like and that, that kind of always sticks with me about everybody brings something to the table, right? And the Bible tells us that, right? Like every body part deserves honor and the less honored parts need more honor. Like we know that that's true. But I think Sometimes we don't believe it, right? But we don't see it at work. And, and in so many settings, that, that girl has been told, like, you don't really have anything to offer. But she totally did, right? I'm not really sure what happened between those two kids. But also, you know, when you really love someone, it shows, right? And she really poured herself into it. And that has always stayed with me. because, well, it's like we're part of a really messed up, broken world, so it's hard to not be a part of any of those systems. Like, no matter what you do, you're going to be a part of a broken system because nothing on earth is perfect. That being said, it's atrocious. Like, as much as God talks about, you know, and Jesus talked about, you know, you do anything to harm these kids, it would have better, it, it would be better had you not been born. And then to be a part of a system who has wronged so many kids across the world, and that's what I'm just choosing to align myself with. That was something I struggled with that so much when I first started. But then it became, but am I aligned with that mission? Do I want to continue along the path of like getting an education and increasing that achievement gap and sewing into students of color who have been historically disenfranchised, sewing into them seeds if you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you can't do it. Like, oh, this is too hard for you by setting low bars for them so that they're used to a low bar and they never reach for anything higher. Is that what I want to do? And I'm like, of course not. That's not what I want to do. And it's like, what I want to do is actually all the opposite. You know, I want to see, like, what, what's God's vision for education? Like, what's God's vision 
for kids and for how they're brought up. And while I'm not all these kids' parents, I see them for eight hours a day. And so I'm like, sometimes I see kids more than they see their own parents. And so that's a very precious and important role. In a kid's life, the top three important people, it's your parent, a teacher, and a coach. And so we're sitting at number two, with that important in kids' life. What we say to them matters, how we treat them matters, the experience that they have matters, what we instill into them, they will keep until they're my age and then, and then even older. I can think of things that teachers told me that I still remember. I still remember like the day when I was learning everything when they said it and they took a little bit of my joy away and they just knocked me down a bit. And that's going against the kingdom of God. And so I have to remember that like we're not striving for, while we're working in a broken system, we're not striving to perpetuate the broken system. We're striving to change that broken system and to bring healing and redemption to it. It's slow, it's step by step. Sometimes you slide back down the ladder, but the goal is always redemption and how can we fix this? Or throw it away if it just doesn't work and then try something new. All right, Christian, can you join me up front? Malaysia Anderson. Um, you know, both of them figuring out what's it like to be a Christian in the public school systems, the joys and challenges they face. Um, both these testimonies, and I've got 17 of them. Jeff and I are leaving a week from Monday to catch more in New York City. Like, I'm just being enriched by people who, like, live their faith in such a different context than I have. And so I'd love, Christian, to just hear how you've seen God show up, first of all. Like, you know, does God care about DeForest High School? Does God show up at DeForest High School? Yeah, he does. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess first, like, just a quick background. I, I teach at DeForest High School. Uh, Scott said I've been there now. This will be my ninth year. I primarily have juniors and seniors. I teach English, um, reading-based courses, literature courses mainly, and then a creative writing course, which is writing-intensive. Taught um, uh, in Deerfield before that for eight years. Uh, so even more rural than than uh, DeForest and, and much smaller, graduating classes of about 70. And prior to that, two years at Des Moines East, which is probably comparable to Madison East, so kind of the gamut uh, hmm. from you know urban, inner city, large school to small rural, and uh, now divorce was somewhat in between. Um, yeah, so I'll, I guess I'll just draw on something more recent to answer your question, um, and, uh, and and maybe a couple different examples. How do I see God show up? Is that that's the mm-hmm. question? Um. Yeah, I remember every year, I, I for about the past five or six years, I start the year um, asking for a small amount of students. I won't say it's always one or two, but I, I you know, sometimes it's a couple, sometimes it's three or four, sometimes it's just one. And in this past year, it was just one. Asking God, bring a student to me that uh, is particularly overlooked. Um, and uh, and I, I never quite know what I'm getting myself <laughs> into. Sometimes uh, he brings that student to me, and I'm like, well, 
what else do you got? Yeah. It's like, um, like the Overlook students aren't yeah. exactly the brightest yeah. stars. Maybe that's one for another teacher. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and this year, and it's it's funny because I, I like I find myself connected to this student in a unique way. Um and, and I'm, I'm usually late to the party realizing, oh, I think this is the student. <laughs> uh, and, and such was the case this last year. I had a student, we'll call him Alex, who uh, was, was very quiet. Um, uh, just, he just kind of, he slunk around. And, um, and, and he, everything, all the vibes that he was giving were like, he, he doesn't like school, doesn't really want to be here. And also um, liked to talk about his recreational drug use at every chance he could. Um, at, right to the line where it was like reportable to counselors, <laughs> but, you know, you really couldn't do anything about it. And, um, and so, you know, he, 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 that, that was where actually most of his personality would come out. Um, he, uh, like, was he disruptive? He wasn't type. really disruptive. I mean, he, he, he really, he just, he showed up fairly regularly um, and uh, just never did any work. Not a lick of work, um, which is saying a lot because my assignments are awesome. <laughs> so um, I'm thinking, man, he, no, he, he just was not engaged at all in, in, in school. And, uh, and you could have taken offense at this, but th- I did. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, I battle that really. You know, there's there's that initial, and and actually, that, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was part of the initial kind of battle. And I thought I, I I walked by his desk one day, and he was he'd often just play on his phone, and it's this awkward, uh, you know, thought process that a teacher goes through. It was like, well, they're not really engaging. They're learning nothing. You're on their phone, but at least they're not upsetting the rest of the apple cart. <laughs> Right, and then I grapple with right the the questionable ethics of that. So um, I saw him playing a game. It was a skateboard game. I like I like skateboarding. So I I stopped and I was like, you know, what game is that? And I think he was initially a little taken aback. Like I'm expecting you, you know, to bust me for this, but since you asked, <laughs> Pro Skate Three, and uh, and so he he showed me the game, and I was. Uh, I was genuinely interested, and I said I was going to download download that game, and uh, and I did, and it was hard, but I got good at it. And then I just started sharing, like, look at this, look at this new board I unlocked, and and that was the the beginning of the relationship that broke the the barrier of like mm-hmm. teacher as authoritarian and student as uh, you know subject to that authority. So. I'd like to say, you know, he suddenly had new ambitions to to go Ivy League, but that wasn't exactly the case. But it was small steps, and uh, and you know, fast forward to second semester where he he did. He started to do more work. He started to care. There were other things, you know, along along the journey where um, we did have chances to uh, interact in the context of the the schoolwork and the learning and. And that was exciting, but he was he was still a little sluggish. I saw that he was an artist, really. Like he mm-hmm. he had something. He had some art. He he definitely had personality. He was just, I think, tired and probably high a lot of the time. And um, and so you know, as it got to this stage of of more trust, um, toward the end of the year, he, we were writing short stories. And, um, 
he he turned in his short story late, <laughs> and, uh, and and it was paltry. There was maybe uh, a, a page, barely a page of story, and I started reading his story, and it was um, it was uh, it was act it was fiction. It was some chase scene. I don't know. I but it, eventually it just trailed off, and he started writing directly to me, and and he said. Um, to be honest, I, I don't know what else to write, uh, Mr. Ezell. I I just find this hard. I find school hard. I it's hard. It's stressful, overwhelming when everybody else around me seems to be doing so well, understanding things, and I don't know what's going on. And my parents are always yelling at me to to go to school, and I just I don't even want to show up here anymore. I don't feel like I belong. And I it was just like this incredible. Um, hyperdrive to vulnerability that he he hadn't really shown I, I don't think hmm. and um, and so I I mean I was concerned obviously I was flattered and humbled that he would he would trust hmm. me like that and I was thinking about back to where it all began and where we we arrived and um, and so I I followed up with our school counselor, who is awesome, I see God show up through Andrea <laughs> uh, on a yearly basis, and, and she's just uh, incredible. Um, but uh, yeah, we connected and, and talked um, discreetly about you know how we could help Alex and uh, address his his cry for help really, and um, and so yeah, I, it's a long story short. Um, followed up with him and and uh, just basically. It felt I felt inadequate at the time. Like I'm I'm here for you. I hear you. I see you. Um, you know I, I feel for you, and I'm with you. Um, and uh, and I just keep going, right? Mm. Like I'm I'm gonna keep cheering for you. Just keep going, and um, and hang in there. And and I I know that he really took that to heart, and and he did. And he, he finished out the year, and. Um, and I realized that it reminded me of another student I had very much like him named David, who um, it was six to seven years prior, um, he didn't, he, and David never quite opened up the way Alex did, but, but David did, uh, he, we built some semblance of a relationship, and then it was after graduation that I saw him driving through our neighborhood and he stopped and he talked to me and it, I was just floored at the impact that clearly I had made with the student. <laughs> I didn't think that I had. He was one of the kids that I had prayed for that year. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and that's how it is. Sometimes you, you have these really cherished um, nuggets of encouragement like you have with Alex. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't see it, but David did. And I, um, and so... And I would just run into him around the city, it seemed. And it was it was always just like a simple hi, how are you doing? But but I knew there was some there was some shred of positivity right. in that kid's life and that, it, that felt mine. I mean it totally feels like the kingdom moving forward with Alex. Yeah. Now you didn't talk about a profession of faith, but there was something of God's love and attention through you, operating through you, and yeah. investing in a yeah. kid who would probably have been just as fine if you dismissed him or whatever, but right. you took an interest, right. and something changed right. in that, and that was God sort of working through you, and I think kingdom stuff happening. 
Obviously, you face some challenges with regard to what you can say and making call to faith at the front mm. of the classroom kind mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't hinder God working in and through you. No, no. And I, I you know, I, uh, public education is just rife with ridiculous policies and... and um, um, I really hope my superintendent doesn't see this interview. <laughs> we, we can edit. She would agree. She would agree. No. Uh, you know, I just, I find myself often having, having to be subversive. Um, and, um, I, but I'm never, never uh, devious. I, I don't, mm -hmm. well, maybe sometimes. <laughs> All for the kingdom, though. All for the kingdom. Um, there are those moments, but I, I think I slip in, you know, well, you know, a friend of mine at church, just things that, that I, I really, I'm not, it's not premeditated. It's just, I'm sure. just talking openly just being about, yourself. yeah, yeah. And I, and After I all, do. Your I, name is Christian. I mean, yes, come on. Man. I'm a Christian that teacher. Raise up. Let's start the, the question. That way. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. I think I've shared the story, actually, of how I got my name, which, you know, so you talk about those things, and students, I, usually they're just kind of like, you know, I think I think the some of the, the students who are in the classroom who, who do fr come from churched families are like, you know, and, but literature has so many references, oh, also sure. to scripture, yeah, you're so talking it's like, about that's the like low-hanging fruit, that right? Like, you guys are familiar with Moses, right? <laughs> you know, and just go for it, and all under the guise of like, wow, this is just a literary text. Um, I don't say that, because I don't believe that, but, you know, it, it's literature in some yeah. sense, so, yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah, so, and then there's there are those moments where, you know, you talk to students like, does 102.5 mean anything to you? <laughs> Speaking in code. Um, it's the Christian radio station. I had a student actually who I, I did just get into it with, and it was, it was totally fine. If they come to uh -huh, you, they right, initiate, if they initiate uh -huh. then it's, it's free game. And she did that and uh, ended up uh, turning me on to uh, Bob Goff. I didn't know Bob Goff. I was like, this is really good stuff. Yeah, and so and I, I'd shared a book with her. So there, there are those ones uh -huh. too. How about your own journey, Christian, deciding to become a teacher? Like, what was that like? Did you yeah. think you'd be a teacher when you started college? Or yeah. Or was it a, from a young age you wanted to be a teacher? Yeah, it's funny. That, that absolutely. No, I told students that if, if you would have said I was going to be a teacher at in high school, I would have just laughed you out of the room. I, I was not a serious student in high school and just coasted. I, I cared about sports right up until graduation or through graduation when I went to a small liberal arts school in southern Iowa called Graceland just because there was a, a roster spot there for me and some money Anything to play Anything to do with Elvis at Graceland? Or no, uh, no, nope, no okay. claim there. No, um, it's a it's a heavy um, Amish com uh, community uh, uh -huh. actually. Yeah. So, which is also not why I went there. But um, <clears throat> anyway, yeah. So I, I went there, and then it just co college sports is a grind, and I realized that I was done with that. And meanwhile, like school was starting to to become interesting to me, and uh, I. Had, I had chosen just because, you know, basically you show up and they want you to declare a major. So I thought I'll be a teacher because then I can coach. Mm. So, you know, if my pro career <laughs> fails, I'll still be able to stay connected to sport. 
So that's initially how it began. And then, mm-hmm. and then um, yeah, quitting basketball, getting into um, school more, and then just having uh, some teachers, one in particular, a, a literature professor named David Gavin, who who was just hit all the, the cool English teacher boxes. I mean, the tweed jackets, smelling like cigarettes in a good way, silvering hair, Irish. Yes, he went for the win there. And uh, Did he have a lilt? Oh, he had a lilt. He would tell stories about like going to school in Galway at this like Irish Catholic school and like the headmaster like whacking their knuckles, <laughs> you know, for reading comics in the room. Like, it was just absolutely enchanting. And so and so I was a I was total brown noser by that point. And so and probably one student in the class that was listening, yeah, wrapped with attention. And so so uh, yeah, so we, we had a bond and, and then and it, yeah, and I I like I did it did stir in me i remember he was reading um the last page of the dead by james joyce it's just not light reading but (laughs) i did recognize something in the language that was beautiful and he started to cry and i think everyone else (laughs) in the room was rolling their eyes like give me a break but it just it connected with me in a way that I, I hadn't heard language sing like that since listening to hip hop junior year, and uh, and so <clears throat> so I realized like I want to I want to give that to mm-hmm. other students. I would like to ignite mm-hmm. them, and then other professors at Drake who were really about like a- a- education is access to power. It is a is a breakthrough oppression, and it's also a means by which we keep people down. Hmm. So you can be an instrument of change in helping people, um, you know, gain this great tool, this great power to to break chains of oppression. And so that revved my engine too. So it was it was it was the art of of um, ideas and language that excited me. I wanted to bring that, but I also just wanted to bring. Um, help as much as I could give give students a voice, particularly those who who wouldn't have otherwise had a voice. And um, I was I was thrilled. Plus, I got summers off. Awesome. And a, yeah, and a constant audience for um, my jokes, which they were the position <laughs> they're in is they have to laugh yeah, at my jokes. Sort of like right? stand up so, comedy yeah, and teaching. He's right. Yeah, it was a win. And. Like, when did you begin connecting, oh, this actually matters to God and to, like, yeah. this is the gospel or, you know, this yeah. is this is the soil right. for the church and for the kingdom. Oh, is Boy. that from the beginning or yeah. did that develop? I think, I mean, I think, I think conceptually I just knew, like, well, God cares about people who are overlooked, right? He cares deeply about, about. The widow and the orphan, and and I started at a school that was, you know, 40% Latino, um, 95% free and reduced lunch, and um, and I had gone to schools like that growing up, and um, had had come from poverty as well, and uh, single mom, and so you know, and and had good teachers too. I like I knew that that my faith 
w- had something to do, had a lot to do with. I think that Jesus' heart was was you know not just about you know you know being baptized and saved and then um, uh, you know living living a comfortable life from that point on. So so it just it made sense. But I think it it wasn't really it wasn't really real until I started interacting with students and started seeing that and being very challenged and, and having actually professional crisis moments where I'm like, well, it all sounded nice when I was an undergrad, but once <laughs> once I got into the trenches, it was rough. I remember a, a particular conversation with, I actually started, my, my job at the beginning for two years was, at, was with a, an at-risk program. It was a, a, a school-to-career a nonprofit planted at Des Moines. So I wasn't teaching English, and I was working with students who had multiple at-risk um, criteria qualifications. And um, and and I and I uh, spoke with with this girl Andrea um, in a heated moment. She was she was going to fight. She was going to um, kill this bee, as in, in Andrea's words. And uh, because because this girl had had dishonored her her family and um, and and that that kind of chatter was not um, new to me. I mean, I, I, I like I said, I, I went to schools where I saw some of this roughness. A lot of my a lot of my friends. I mean, I was there was only like three other white kids on my basketball team, and and that whole team was my friends. And so so you know, I saw at least you know the 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 places in in Des Moines that were. Uh, the roughest places in Des Moines. So, um, but I, but I realized, like, I was still, I was still pretty white privileged and, and still pretty naive because, to me, it was like, well, you know, you, you don't, you're not going to do this because you'll get suspended, and that's going to jeopardize your education, and that's going to jeopardize your prospects for college, and that's, and and it was like I was speaking in a, a totally different language, Andrea, and she was like, no, you don't understand. Like, I have to do this, hmm. and and I realized and where are that. Where you in your faith? at this stage in your life? Did you say you're a pretty strong person? Oh, I was, yeah, I was saint level. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I, yeah, no, I was, I was, uh-huh. I was it heavily was involved. I, yeah, I, I won, absolutely, yeah. yeah. No, in college it was that way. I, I kind of, that's another story. I think I've told some people um, that testimony. It was, it was like sophomore year. I kind of rededicated my life to Christ. And so my, my first year or two of school was very different than the back end. And so, so anyway, I was involved with the church and, and yeah. So you're listening to Andrea as a believer, giving this advice that feels so out of touch with her reality. Right. So, so out of touch. And, and, and I realized like, wow, the, 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 a lot of the students that I work with, like they're, none of their parents or their, their hood went to college. And in some way it was much harder for them to, to say, I'm going to enter really a different, it, a lot of it was class, right? Like, I'm going to enter a new class. And uh, as much as, you know, we hear the romantic, you know, the legacy, starting a new legacy, being a first-generation college student, of course it's awesome when that happens, and it does happen. Um, but it, it's it's hard for, I think, a lot of those students to really go there because in some ways it's like, I have to turn my back on my neighborhood. I have to turn my back on this community that's really raised me and cared for me, right? And it makes you start to ask some really difficult questions and question what and realize that maybe your perspective on education and upward mobility is a little bit like can can be a little bit oversimplified at times. So, um, 
I think it was I think it was then in that conversation and others that followed where I started to realize like this is this is I, I guess like I'm not here to just be the light in the darkness and save all my students you, you know not in in like a um, a conversion sense but but you know to bring all my expertise and I was just gonna be. I was going to be the solution, at least for for my students. This is not, un- unfortunately, it's just much more complex mm-hmm. than that. And so, and I, I realized then too, like mm. that was. I didn't feel judged for that. I didn't feel like Jesus was like, ah, you're messing up right from the start. He was <laughs> like, ah, yeah, I'm going to teach you some things that that yeah are about your faith, but also just about society, <laughs> about what plainly like you know how this works in in the United States of America and where where they're like um the teacher you know you interviewed where the system is is pretty broken and uh and so you're not going to come in and just you know revolutionize mm-hmm. it but you're going to be part of mm-hmm. of that that uh, uh solution and you're going to do as much as you can in your corner of influence it's going to be hard but let me give you summers off <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to pay you a lot yeah but I'll give you good help and I'll, I'll give you some great tips on the best skateboarding games that you could imagine. That you would never before have known about this game. Yeah. If you weren't a teacher. Yeah. So, like, what I hear you wrestling with, Christian, is sort of in your faith intersecting your work. You've had to wrestle with messianic complex. Yeah. Versus, uh, there's not. It's too overwhelming. I'm just going to sort of do my job and like my faith will be on Sunday and my job will be Monday mm, through Friday. There are weeks. There are weeks where I felt that way too. Yeah. So yeah, you have to balance. Yeah. I am the Messiah for this school or for yeah. this class versus like yeah. resignation. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, education and the debate in education has. Um, you know, stirred up the Christian community. Sure. Like, so your ears, as you're listening to, I don't know, homeschool, which Jenny and I did up mm-hmm. through up to high school. Our kids went to public high school, but the sort of homeschool, voucher, private school, mm-hmm. public school, like that whole, that's where you live. Yeah. Like, yeah. How's that sound to you, and what are you hearing? And yeah. like, from your perspective, which is one perspective, like maybe not the universal. Sure. Sure. I think you have something to say. How do you read? How do you hear that debate yeah. unfolding? Um, well, I guess my first answer to that would be, uh, like, I could answer that now in this moment. I have an answer for that. That has it would not be the same as if I would have answered that years ago, and who knows where it's going. It's been... Uh, it, it's been... Um, Something that just constantly evolves, and, I, and something that I think about uh, a lot, um, and, uh, and and like many teachers do, I guess um, where where I'm at presently, you know, I I don't I sometimes get offended about um, w- w- by conversations that seem to um, I feel overlooked, like public education is is um, weakened, right? Whether uh, uh, through through budgets um, or or just through like a societal skepticism of, of public education and teachers, um, uh, you know. I, but I see now. I think 
I, I went through a I went through a period a couple years ago where I was just really I really I good friends a lot of my friends actually homeschool or send their kids to private school and I and a really trusted friend I had a a difficult conversation with ultimately a good conversation with but I expressed anger frankly uh, with him and 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 the premise was that like there were so many parents family students in our Northside community alone that could be at this public school where my kids were attending. And I felt like sort of betrayed <laughs> or, 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 you know, or just um, uh, discounted, right, for, for them making that decision. Um, I, I came in a little hot, I think, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's fine. That's fine. It, it worked out, and, and thank, thank God that, that my friends are – are, are trusting, and I, I think that they, they probably would say that they were glad that I, I did came, come in high and challenge because we often just don't even talk about those things um, <clears throat> in, in some kind of attempt to, to keep it civil. But um, I, I see, I, you know, I, I don't have anything against um, private education, um, uh, you know, homeschooling. I think it's just, it's not for anyone to judge. It's every, every, every household has to make a decision, and there's, there's so many variable factors. I mean, a, a trusted friend of mine um, ended up in South Central LA. And, and, you know, I mean, we have we have some, some roughness in Madison, but I, I think it's safe to say that we, we can't go comparing <laughs> ourselves with, like, Chicago public schools or, or schools in South Central. And, and, you know, those are your children. And as, as I've parented my kids and, and as we've seen our kids grow, you know, we recently made the, the tough decision to to pull our kids out of Madison uh, public schools and, uh, and 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 enroll them into Forest where I teach and and that was rough because I'd always grown up in schools that were, were very diverse socioeconomically, racially, ethnically, and and that was Madison and uh, and here we were bringing them to DeForest where which is um, you know it, it, the demographics would say something different. I mean they don't compare to Madison. But but the the vibe of of DeForest is, is very white, right? And and it and it's uh, yeah. Um, so uh, it was it was just you know without going into all the details of that decision, it was a very tough decision for Betsy and I, and um, I think ultimately a good one, but but still a bittersweet one. Mm-hmm. And um, but you're empathizing with those who feel like I I think there's a different educational situation that I that this kid needs absolutely absolutely yeah so I I would be I'm in a place where I guess I'm much more willing to to listen um and um and I and I think I think there are there are private schools and homeschool families that are just doing all kinds of good things um uh for the kingdom uh, and and for their community as well and um, about uh, yeah, just before we we made that decision, our we have some other friends who were like our lone Northside friends who uh, believers who also had their kids in the same Madison Elementary schools as we did, and they decided through a series of events that it was just untenable for them, and and they also would say a bittersweet decision to pull them out and, and enroll them at ALCS and. Uh, and um, and so Kevin and I were talking, and and, and uh, you know he said, you know, we we want to continue, at a minimum, to pray for these schools. We're in this community. 
we care about this. We're not sure how this looks, how we stay connected or involved. Um, but we don't want to just split and not care, <laughs> right? And I, and I think that um, that's mm. probably the 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 thing. If I, if I was having a conversation with someone and they they were to say something like, well, you know, we 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 really we don't really care about the public school. You know, we're here to look after our kids, and uh, we just that's our our task. And uh, I, I would be I would be probably um, I, would, I would for sure be bummed out, but also a, a bit angry and, hmm. and, and skeptical of, of uh, where their faith was at if if uh, if they had that attitude. But I don't find that to be the case in in, hmm. in the student or in the um, in the parents and the friends that I talk to. It's a tougher decision for them as well. And yeah, when you have your kids and you you want the best for them, they are there to learn and if that's not happening you know there are factors i mean i I think right now the madison public school system is in it's it's hurting i think it's it's struggling mightily and and um uh so one could say like well how is it if leaving that district is going to help right i think that's a fair question (laughs) um at the same time i think you could also ask well how is it you know, subjecting my child to this and having them go through this, if they're clearly suffering and, and struggling, how's that going to help as well? So um, it's it's not really for me to say, but um, I hope that's not too much of a, yeah. a convoluted nope. answer. That's, uh, I think I, this feels like church here. Like we're talking about stuff that happens in our community with our kids every day with a teacher who's a Christian thinking about the intersection of faith and education. Mm. Like if church isn't a place where this can happen, yeah. where is? So I, yeah. I appreciate this is your opinion. Yeah. You come from sure. a, a certain perspective, but it feels like healthy to talk about yeah. this in the context of our and faith. I, and I would say too, I mean, like just the notion of free public education, like this is something that our country has felt valuable. Say what you want about, you know, how the, the equity in education, right? I mean, I, you, if you really looked at the data, you would see, uh, we're not doing as well as we maybe want to be doing there. In fact, maybe not doing well at all. But look, at least the idea of giving education to kids for for free I think is an idea that that God can get yeah. behind. So yeah, I love. Belatious, I don't want that to like, go away. Hey, Jesus said, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be really bad for you. So yeah. like, we ought to care about the little ones. Yeah. So yeah. I would love for Doug Alexander to come up and pray for you, Christian, and the Forest Schools, because um, I know Doug cares about education. Mm. And man, if uh, parent, teacher, and coach are the three most important people in a kid's life, you're going to be a rock star for Jane and Finn when they go to your high school and you coach them. Like, you are their world at that point. You are all three most important people at the same time. Yes. You hear that, kids? You hear that? All right. Would you briefly pray for Christian and for... uh, and yes, for all teachers, I know Tom is here as a teacher. I'm not sure I, if I can re- name all the others in our church family that are teachers, but uh, when we pray, apply apply the prayer to teachers that you know and, uh, and to school systems that you know. 
I just want to say before I pray, I, uh, I was a teacher for four years in Raleigh, North Carolina, inner city school. And I remember going into church one day and sitting down and just bursting into tears. I don't even know. I don't think there was any one thing. The, the pressures and the discipline and the struggles, it's a very, it can be a very hard job. Mm-hmm. And um, you, Christian, you were very good to talk about the positives, but, but mm. we, I, we know that it is a challenge. Heavenly Father, thank you for this conversation. Mm. Thank you for teachers. And thank you particularly for Christian and his commitment to, to teaching students and to entering this career path. Lord, uh, first I just want to pray in, in general for the DeForest school system, that they will, uh, as a whole, be healthy and strong. And even if people are not believers, that through your common grace, that they will commit themselves to integrity, to um, goodness, to love, and that uh, you will bring peace and, and success to the DeForest school. And we pray the same, Lord, for the mass and public schools. And then I pray for, for Christian for the, um, for the impact that he has on the students that he's not going to get to really build a good uh, relationship with. It's impossible. He has over 100, uh, probably closer to 150. And we pray that those students that come into his class, sit down, get his teaching, and go throughout a year will pick up something of his character and of his love for you mm-hmm. and that they will be influenced positively and that they'll also pick up a love for literature. And you, Lord, of course, are the, the genesis of all literature and all language. Mm-hmm. And we pray that they will um, learn to love uh, literature and, and the concepts that are there that are all about humanity and, 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 and man struggle with himself and, and herself and struggle mm. with the world and ultimately with you. Mm. And, uh, and we pray about these special kids that Christian is open to each year. Mm-hmm. We pray for the ones in the past that number in the tens and twenties by now, that you will continue to work in their lives, bring other people into their lives, and may they be successful in what they do and ultimately nudge them closer and closer to you. And uh, for this upcoming year, um, give Christian a sense of energy and excitement. Uh, Give him an openness, and we pray that you will bring him one, two, or however many students that you want Christian to invest in in an unusual way. Give him the opportunities. Uh, give him the insight. We think about that 10-second discussion uh, initiative in which he chose on the spur of the moment, instead of just telling him to put the phone away, to ask him what game he was playing, mm-hmm. this fellow named Alex. Give Christian wisdom because he cannot do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Most of the times he has to keep teaching the class and tell the kids to stop. But guide those special moments and give Christian wisdom at the spur of the moment of what to say and how to react. Mm -hmm. And we pray that uh, whoever these students are, that they will um, be impacted by the end of the year by Mr. Azel. Mm -hmm. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.